Hey everyone, welcome to episode 19 of the Baseball Never Sleeps podcast. I'm Simon Farber, and my partner, as always, is Nick Lancioni. And on today's show, we have ABC's Mark Greco, who was a wonderful guest to have on the show. He had just been featured consistently throughout the ESPN's Last Dance documentary covering the Bulls in the 90s. So we chatted with him a little bit about his career covering Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and we got into some baseball. He's covered Cubs and White Sox for a bunch of decades now. And he gives a great answer for who he thinks the best political figure in Chicago sports would be today. Let's get to it. Today we'd like to welcome on a very special guest, sports director and lead sports anchor of ABC7 News, Mark Greco. 2020 Silver Circle Honoree. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join with us, and congratulations on the Silver Circle. Well, thank you, guys. Nick Simon, it's a pleasure to be with you. So, Mark, uh, as re- in regards to sports, some of the first things opening has been golf courses. How's your game looking like? Are you thinking about getting out and working on the swing a little bit? My game has never been any good at all, <laughs> but I'm dying to get out there. And now that we're moving into the next phase, and you can use carts, and you can actually play in a foursome, and that's always good news because the best part about golf for me is playing with my friends and the camaraderie because right. I'm never going to be able to hit the ball very well, you know. But so I'm happy to see that, and it is a natural social distancing sport if you just kind of pay attention, you know. Exactly. And uh, speaking of more recent news, I'm sure you tuned in to the ten episodes of the Michael Jordan last dance documentary and before some of the games a lot of the fans got insight as to how players went about their days they'd see jordan and other teammates go out and play rounds of golf with cigars in their mouths and there you had rodman going to vegas during that little break are there any stories somewhat similar to this on the baseball side of things amongst baseball players that you can share well not that i can share on the air (laughs) (laughs) but you know listen it's kind of a weird schedule for a professional athlete. You know, baseball, you've got most of the day, if you're playing a night game, you've got to regulate your body. Uh, You know, basketball, you're usually playing evening games during the week. You've got all day in a hotel room, especially on the road and everything like that. I mean, you know, I lived that 10 years of chasing Michael Jordan and learning how to moonwalk backwards and chase him down every hallway of every arena. Um, You have to be so disciplined to be a professional athlete to budget your time properly. Dennis Rodman was the exception. I mean, he could give you 500%, rip down, you know, 25 rebounds, um, and stay up all night just drinking and doing whatever. (laughs) I mean, he was one of these phenomenal specimens who didn't need to take care of himself. Although, you know, behind closed doors, he worked as hard as anybody else in the weight room and everything else. So while he, he pushed himself going to bars and, and chasing and doing everything else all night. Uh, he put in the work, too. So and there aren't too many people that can do both. And he was one who could. And I remember so many stories of I'd be on the road and, you know, after a game, all the media people, we'd be out. You know, we'd be in the bar, in the, in the hotel or whatever, and we're getting to our rooms pretty late. And we see some players coming down the hallway and – they look at me and I look at them and it's like, you're not going to say anything, right? <laughs> okay. If you don't say anything about me, that's, that's the code. So there are so many stories like that, but you know, 
you got to be able to answer the bell. That's the only thing. No one's going to dock you for missing curfew if you play well. You mentioned how you lived throughout that era and, and reported throughout that era. I, I know you're on TV all the time, but you actually made a few appearances in that documentary. Was that something special for you? It was kind of cool to see, you know, um, everyone who ever worked during that era got their two seconds of fame at least through the 10 episodes. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was chasing Michael, like I said, uh, the moment he got here in 1984. And then, you know, by 89, he was Michael Jordan. And then the six championships unfolded after that, you know, with the break in between. So I was at NBC for the first three championships and then jumped to ABC for the next three titles. And, but that was, that was the job back then. You just, you know, it was so viciously competitive. You never wanted to get beat and you were chasing Michael and the bulls constantly trying to get that exclusive or making sure that, that, you know, you didn't miss that soundbite you needed to have. And when I was with NBC, all the games uh, were on NBC Network. The NBA was on NBC. So we did a an hour pregame, an hour postgame show after every single playoff game. And so uh, it's a lot of content to generate. And it was one of these crazy rides where, you know, all of us sit back and laugh about it now. But, man, we would have – we were unplugging each other's live shots, people getting in fist fights in the locker room. I mean – we were as competitive as the players were back then. <laughs> so, Mark, as part of ABC7 News, you cover sports for more of a national audience as opposed to a directly a sports one like at ESPN or MLB Network or something like that. What's your approach to presenting sports when your audience is a bit broader like that? Well, my approach has always been more local the better. I mean, and as our business has evolved, I mean, when I first started, you know, I'm so old. There were three TV stations in your town, and that was it. There was no cable. There was no satellite. And there certainly wasn't any Internet. And so you were all things to all people back then, and local television news was king. And I always tell everybody the movie Anchorman was not a comedy. That was a documentary because that's exactly the way it was. Then you had the evolution of cable, satellite, the Internet. There are more and more cameras, more and more reporters in the locker room, and there's no way to compete with the Internet. So the way, you know, I approach my job is most people up at this point right now is most people have read the story, have seen the video, know exactly what happened. Uh, so you just have to assume that the way you write your show and try to give them something extra, an opinion or take it to the next step or come up with a sidebar. Because back in the day, when I first got into the business in the 70s, um, you know, people tuned into us to see what was happening for the day. People were reading newspapers. People were listening to the radio. Now they get everything on their phone in two seconds, and they might tune in to see what you're going to do with it. But we become a sec secondary uh, source of information and entertainment. So you got to give them something extra. You know, so I try to keep everything as local as possible because you see the national stuff all over social media and all over the network. So I think local is key and try to give them something that your competitors and, you know, national networks aren't going to give you. So you've been local here now for a while, and I know it's a professional environment, 
But do you get emotionally attached to any of the teams or the players? And do you have a favorite moments or even most painful moments from covering Chicago sports? Well, let's see, I'm in my 39th year now. And um, I was always more obsessed with the job as being a job. I never saw myself as being a giddy fan. Um, So I think that, you know, I've lived through and covered six NBA championships, uh, two Super Bowls, three Stanley Cups, you know, two World Series. But I never, you know, I had a couple of guys who I kind of hung around with a little bit. But I usually, as a rule, kept my job and my personal life separate. And I looked at it as a job, as a reporter. I was not a fan. I wasn't especially rooting for any particular team. Uh, There's certain guys you like better than others, of course. But uh, there are a lot of people in my business who, I mean, they were just would suck up to players and, and, and just love teams so much that they weren't really being objective and really weren't doing their job. And I think it's a plus that since I've been in Chicago for 39 years, I think I know what I'm doing and I know the landscape and I know the history. But I wasn't born and raised here. So I don't get sucked into being a diehard fan. I just, my priority is to do the absolute best show I can do, beat the competition, and leave you laughing with something. I noticed that ABC7 Chicago a couple months back dug deep in their vault to find the masterpiece of Make Mark Be Your Teacher, and it looked like quite the full day for you, and you even got to showcase your Michael Jordan confidence after getting a highlight ferocious block on a kid. What can you tell us about this day and how this came to fruition? Uh, This was back in the late 90s when uh, everybody was looking for sweeps pieces to do, you know, some different things to do during a rating period that we could tease and try to boost our ratings. So my producer, Larry Snyder, and I came up with the idea, why don't I try to do other people's jobs? And we, we asked viewers to write in and, you know, offer to work with them. And it exploded. It was a huge hit. I mean, this was way before dirty jobs you see on the cable outlets. I mean, we came up with so many great ideas. We should have patented them because now they're all reality shows that are airing <laughs> on, you know, every network in the world. But make Mark do your job. We did, I think, 18 episodes. Uh, we just ran another one today where I was working in a grocery store. Um, I was a shoe salesman. I was an exterminator. Um, I went to Vegas where I was a blackjack dealer, a stand-up comedian. Um, and this was a great one. I'm dressed as a Klingon at the Star Wars exhibit. <laughs> or the, I'm sorry, the Star, Star Trek exhibit. And it's this brand-new thing in the casino. And I'm, in, I'm, you know, a full Klingon with the headpiece, you know, with the, with the furrowed head and, you know, total makeup. And I'm standing there with two other Klingons and this, this couple, these tourists, they're from Chicago. They walk in, they go, hey, Mark Jean Greco. I'm like, yeah, how can you recognize <laughs> They go, hey, we knew, you know, we know the Klingons didn't have noses like that. But, but those were all great bits that we did. And we, you know, like everybody else, since there's no live sports to speak of, um, we just went back in the vault and we're digging up old stuff and it's been a hit all over again. It's like the last dance. There are two generations of sports fans who never saw Michael Jordan play in person or live on television. And this is a whole new thing for them to see that, oh yeah, I get it now. Michael Jordan is the goat of all time and forget about LeBron and everybody else. So these things that are reviving are, are getting big play and we put them on our website and everything else. So, 
it's funny to see yourself in the last dance when you're like, you know, 30 years old um, and doing all these bits back, you know, when I was 30 or 40 years old. And it, it's fun to see. And it's really surprising that they kind of hold up, you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. That's a, an awesome uh, experience. We want to uh, transition to we have a topic called the out of left field question. And we want to know if you could pick one former or active Chicago athlete who would make a good politician, not necessarily their political preferences, but just as a public figure, who would you pick? Oh, I don't think there's any question. Steve Kerr. He's so smart. He's so self-deprecating. He's so in tune. He's so smooth. He can be so diplomatic. Um, I think Steve Kerr would be the perfect governor, mayor, or dare I say president. Yeah, Steve, that's a good choice. He's already pretty outspoken too, so he's he might be paving the path to begin with. Well, I I put him up, I put him on the ticket for sure, uh, and I've had great interaction with Steve. And I think you know the story. Um, a lot of people had their memories refreshed during the Last Dance that you know his dad was uh, running uh, American University in Beirut and was assassinated by terrorists over there, and um, you know his family. A very scholarly bunch, a very academic. Um, and Steve, you know, was reaching out to other people way back when, you know, and he had a sense of uh, being an international citizen, of looking at things globally. So I think if Steve wanted to transition to politics, that would be so easy for him, but I don't think he does. Okay, Mark, last question here. This is our hypothetical situation. If Steve Bartman granted you and only you permission for a one-on-one interview. What pressing, what pressing questions would you have ready for him? Like Steve, why are you wearing that turtleneck? You know, that's such a great question. I mean, what would be the first question right out of the box is, um, you know, I, I wouldn't know how to start. I would have to think about it because yeah. every single person, in that position, would do the knee-jerk reaction of going for the ball. And you heard all these people just ripping him, destroying him, and saying, you know, you should know better. You're at Wrigley, and you're sitting in the front row. You need to sit back, you know, and let your guy have a chance to catch it. Oh, yeah, like you would have done that. The knee-jerk, uncontrollable, natural reaction is to go for the ball. Mm -hmm. And I think my first question would have been, you know, What's it been like all these years? You know, the Cubs finally gave him a championship ring, and they tried to smooth it over and clean it up. They offered him to throw out the first pitch, which he declined. I mean, here's a guy that basically had to go in a witness protection program, move out of state, you know, basically change his name. Um, I mean, this is a, a great example of how, you know, people can be so cruel and to just ruin a guy's life over something like that. It makes you put everything in perspective. I guess the questions I would ask him would be based on how he's managed to cope with it through all these years. First, I suppose I'd have to ask him to, to go through it, you know, in real time, exactly what was going through his mind. But I kind of know the answer. Nothing goes through your mind. It's just you're automatically jumping for a souvenir, you know? So to try to answer your question, I guess um, – I just would have him take me through the timeline of what it was like and being ushered out of Wrigley and being so terrified and scared. And, you know, we were just as guilty. I mean, our live truck was parked out in front of his house for two weeks. 
and just ask him about that. And then now as the years have gone by, is he at peace now and how is he feeling about things now? So it'd be a long interview, I tell you that. Yeah, that's that was just a crazy moment. We were too young to have watched it live or really known, but I've always wondered, like, did people was that a moment where people actually started believing in the curse? I mean, it feels crazy to think that a team is cursed, but like that that's just so it just seems outlandish. But that moment is it stands out through through baseball history. Yep. I mean people just assume, okay, there we go, we got the goat, now we got Cartman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, black cat, everything. People jump to that immediately. But um, people forget they never really should have been in that position to begin with. So, Yeah, what a relief that the Cubs ended up winning it. And it probably takes a lot of weight off his shoulders. That's why Joe Madden is God. Mark, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We really enjoyed it, and we wish you all the best. You two guys uh, keep hammering away. It sounds like you got a great show. So thanks for having me on. 